0: Wait a minute, people are buying businesses with other people's money. Like, wait. <laughs> so, it was like one of those aha moments for me just reading that book and saying, You can do things as long as you learn the steps and how to play the game and you elevate it and bring your own flair to it. But at the end of the day, pretty much everybody's doing the same things. They're just learning the game a little bit faster because of their exposure. There's a
1: difference between a dream chaser and a dream catcher.
0: Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey,
1: everybody, and welcome to the Dream Catchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having LaVon Idolette with me today. LaVon, how are things down in Florida?
0: Everything is beautiful in Florida. Everybody should move here Um, because it's 80 and it's December, so... How can you not like it? I'm going to go cook on the grill
1: later. I'm a little frustrated with you opening the show that way. I ran this morning. It was 35 degrees, but wind chill was for uh, 30 and uh, yeah, I'd probably rather do 80. So now that we've gotten over that and the weather being beautiful in Florida, I hope it rains on you this afternoon <laughs> while you're grilling. Let's talk a little bit about you and what your well, before we do that, if the listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that?
0: Either on LinkedIn, my name Lavon Idolette, or um Instagram, my name is La La Hurdles2. Two is a number. And um, I'm pretty active on both of those. Wait, why
1: hurdles? What 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 what's the hurdles about?
0: So I've actually had that name since AOL had dial up. And um it was about I ran hurdles in high school and eventually professionally, and in the Olympics. Um, but it has like a synonym to life. I hurdle also is what the two really means.
1: <laughs> Wait, you just going to slide that in? You went to the Olympics?
0: <laughs> yes, I went to I went to the um, London Olympics in 2012.
1: Wait, like the Olympics with all the rings with like people from all over the world? Yes. That's kind of a big deal. But I mean, you're not just an athlete. Like, I I was looking around, you got like a law degree, you like buy apartments. Like, can you run down the list of the things so the listeners get an understanding of who you are, what you've done, and what you're working on right now?
0: So, yes, I was a professional athlete for 10 years. I went to the Olympics. And at the same time, I went to law school. I went to business school before that because I'm just a nerd who happens to be faster than other people. In that process, I began helping professional athletes learn about commercial real estate. So I got into real estate by force. My grandfather owns Orange Groves and my dad is a developer. So basically I had to send faxes and FedExes since the nineties. And it was ridiculous. I wanted to be a doctor who knew that that was going down this road. But um, (laughs) since then I realized that like the staple of creating a better community starts with housing. So it made me get really focused on how to make affordable housing better and like just go full force at that from not only just like a social capital standpoint that's like my biggest thing we have a market as professional athletes people know us in places we can get deals we can we know how to do things so like that's what made me get into it but then i i did like my first acquisition of a large apartment last year um, it's 119 units in Tampa, and I've been looking to do more deals within the Southeast from Virginia South and Texas East, mainly because we have the worst affordable housing issue in terms of slumliness. Uh, I'm not going to discredit what you guys are going through in other places, but you know I know the South the best in terms of like the economics there. But my biggest thing has been, because I run a, co- a consortium of companies with my father, mortgage being the, the the main point, because without money, you can do nothing. And um I realized that I have a lot of access to capital, and I would much rather empower other people to do things that they really love. So I love community things, and I love to help people do things they want to do. So I'm now looking to be more of an LP as opposed to a GP, but I'm still going to do deals for a little while.
1: I like it. So most people might not know what an LP is. Talk a little bit about LP versus GP. Just break it down for the Dreamcatchers listeners.
0: Okay. So uh, LP stands for limited partner. It means that the person gives you capital and no input, Um, basically, to keep it short. Um, the more money you have, the better position you'll be in the deal. So I won't have to do any work because that's what a general partner does. They do all the work. They figure out the problems. They put together the teams and get the things done. And so your limited partner is just a person who believes in you as an executor and gives you money to do that and gets a return for it. I like that part. <laughs>
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. So if you guys are ready to invest. LeVon's not the place to go, but if you need money for a deal, call her. Uh, I guess you can't call her. She didn't give you guys a number, but hit her on Instagram, hit her on LinkedIn. All right. So the question I've been trying to figure out is, have you ever really had like a job, like a nine to five? Because it all seems super sexy. You know, the Olympics, professional athlete, helping athletes figure out where to put their money, working with your dad as a developer, looking at grandpa in the orange grove. It just seems like everything's just been fun. Have you have you had the nine to five? Ugh, I don't really want to go do this on Monday feeling.
0: So I had the most job ever as like a young person. So and it was like sales at a rental car place and like all those kind of like little jobs you do in high school and that's what sort I of think. So I had those kind of jobs and then when I got out of law school, I took a job for a little while once one doing bankruptcy and then the other in a legal tech firm and um basically we were telling people who the best lawyers were based on their win rate which nobody knows you only can see who advertises and that doesn't mean they're good it means they got paid and you get paid even if you lose so basically that was an it was an interesting experience but it made me realize that like I'm not the note like bureaucracy type stuff. Like, the, like one of the owners of the company used to just try to down talk everybody. And I'm just like, the Lord's not finished with me yet. I will beat you up. So basically <laughs> I had to like get out of that situation. And, you know, I realized that like, I'm more of a, 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 a 30,000 foot view kind of a person. I solve problems really well. I don't necessarily know that I'm, I enjoy day-to-day things. Ooh,
1: she says she a visionary, y'all. And she don't want to be an implementer, (laughs) which I think as long as you know that's your strength and you can surround yourself with the right people, that part works really well. And so as you've been doing these things, and I'm picking and saying you haven't had the nine to five, uh, but training for the Olympics is pretty hard. And doing a lot of other stuff you've talked about, like nobody enjoys bankruptcy, you had to have some people show up to help you along the way, right?
0: Of course. So... I'm probably the biggest recruiter of mentors in history. So a lot of people don't even realize that they are my mentors because I just, you know, pick them up along the way, be their friend, add value to their life, and then sit around and let them give me their knowledge over time. So that's actually one really, really positive thing about being an athlete is like people gravitate to you to talk about when they ran track in middle school or whatever the case may be. So I've had the pleasure of being able to like, I trained a guy who was a venture capitalist in the mornings at six o'clock because he wanted to do the decathlon for his 70th birthday. And he taught me all kinds of structural things, introduced me to people. It's just like, a, I gave him some value. He gave me some sauce. I loved it. So... <laughs>
1: This is so much fun, guys. I hope you're laughing. My face is already hurting from smiling so much on this episode. All right. So you've picked up all these mentors. Is there anybody you want to give a shout out for just making a tremendous impact? And, you know, I think people have maybe two to three life changing moments where somebody came in and you made a hard left or right and it changed the trajectory of your life.
0: Yes. So I say the biggest impact person in my life, his name is David Wilson, and so he went, he is like on the board at the University of Miami. I did start off graduate school at the University of Miami. And so he's the next fiction auto of Miami alum. So I met him and I was telling him what I was doing with athletes. And he has a, like an investment banking firm. And he's telling me, like, yeah, you know, I used to manage athletes' money. I don't do that anymore. I'm too old, I don't hang out. And so we're just talking through things. And I was just telling them, like, you know, whenever we do a deal, I, I make the athletes raise money because we're using social capital. We don't use real money. Then he's like, I'm going to take you to a conference. So he took me to an alternative investments conference that was in, like, Orlando or something like that. And I remember I was walking around and I was talking to people. and I'm like, yeah, you know, I do deals. One million, you know, dollar deals. Because in my community, people think I'm popping for that. Right. And so then... He um like the lady said, oh, that's cute. We don't do deals smaller than hundred million dollars. And my and like the casualness. It like it like hit me like a bolt of lightning. Like, well, I didn't think she was that smart. Well, why am I not doing $100 million? We have to figure out how to be doing hundred million dollar deals. Like that, just the the casualness that someone can talk about a deal of that size maybe like dig deeper. Like you've got to know more. You've got to know what's going on out here. And so I would say that that was a very big turning point for me in, like my even like just vision setting, knowing that something is possible and not like just something that people who cap on the internet talk about.
1: The the exposure mm. of the fact that that's a real thing is huge. I remember Duran and I were sitting on the stoop of our apartment building and. The guy was making 700 grand a year and we were like, we've never seen this guy. We never talked to him. How in the world can you set up something like that? Cause my mom told me, Hey baby, you need to get a job that's going to pay you what you want so that you can live the lifestyle you desire. She ain't say you need a source of income, right? And you can own assets that pay you money, even if you're not doing anything with them. And so that stacking and just deal size and exposure. Now with that said, you know, I think a lot of people get lost in this whole thing of going to hunt Moby Dick, right? I'm gonna go do a ten million dollar deal and I've only bought a hundred and fifty thousand dollar single family home. Or I'm gonna go do a hundred thousand dollar deal and you know, I might have run a million dollar division for a company. They don't actually see that there's incremental steps there. And so, you know, I, I caution people if somebody's promising you that you're gonna get everything. With no money, no experience, and no nothing else other than smiling, I can promise you that they're just doing that to separate you from money, right? And what I really want you to do is find somebody who's going to give you those incremental steps so that you can make your way to that place where you want to be. If you know your North Star is a $100 million deal, then let's figure out how to do a $1 million deal. If you haven't done a $1 million deal, then let's figure out how to do ten and then 50, and then hundred. Cause going one to 100 million is like super difficult. And in the episode a couple of weeks ago with Dave Messler, we talked about how he made his first million and how he grew that to a hundred million dollar net worth. And so you guys can see that there are steps along the way. And so-
0: I have a great story about him too. So he changed my life. So I met him at CES three years ago and I was telling him like, you know, I have an interesting background so a lot of people want me to be on their boards and they want me to buy blah, 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 blah. And, I, and i always say no he's like i do that for 100 people and, I, and then he, he explained to me how and and how to like get the most out of a network and i was just, i was i'm like ever, forever thankful for him for that
1: shout out to david look at yes. him he wants to impact like a billion people or something insane and it's not mm-hmm. insane can dream it, right? But here's an example of somebody he's touched in such a short amount of time. So all right, the show, we've got a red pill. And before we jumped on, you asked me what the red pill was. And so we talk about the red pill moments. And this is when you realize that you had to keep going. Like you were on a path, you're on a journey, it got hard. I usually call it going into the desert, right? So you're in the jungle, you got some shade, you can pull fruit off the tree. And then you go into the desert where resources are scarce and you're trying to figure it out and it's hot and you want to go back and sit in the shade, but you know that paradise is on the other side. Do you have any examples or an example where that happened in your life where you, you took the red pill?
0: So I call those headwinds. So I use everything. Everything is like a, a track analogy. I have so many as ridiculous because I go, I go through these like spurts of time. where like, Get all this momentum. You're like go go go, right? Like everything works. So you, I start, I started skipping steps. And what happens when you skip steps is you get a humble slap that the step was important. Like you think, oh, you know, it's just a little something. You don't need to like little things. And um, so I had a manager stealing money, like a lot of money, and it, like to the point that the co- the company was like, basically about to go bankrupt. Again, you know, I'm a little bit rough around the edges. So I, I'm like, I don't want to go to jail for beating this lady up. So let's find solutions. But it's, it's all about like sticking to like, I've learned that as long as I stick to what I plan to do beforehand, go through all the steps, even if it takes a long time. And I know a lot of things are tedious that I don't have nearly the issues because you can preemptively solve them. It's it's the like, oh, we're this far along. Then you get slapped with something that's like, whoa, whoa, you should have known that three weeks ago.
1: Thanks for telling me now. <laughs> but that part is super interesting because you yes. you want to make sure that you have the right mentors. You want to have the right advisors. And I mean, I'm sure you've had more coaches than you probably care to have over the course of your life. So with that said, like, I'd like to dive into the challenges and, you know, you talked about the headwinds, but these are like a little bit easier. Your company's not going bankrupt, but you had a challenge along the way where you had to push pause, recalibrate and then start going again.
0: So I've had so many challenges that I like almost try to blank them out of my brain. So it's really, I'm really like sitting here thinking, all right, Because like the ones that stand out the most to me are like sports related, which is ridiculous. And uh, I wouldn't say the most relatable, but they're very relatable to life situations. So basically, in order to be a really good athlete, you have to train a lot. But you also have to learn that what's more important than training is rest. Because you need a healthy balance of the two. And so I'm always a person who goes really hard. And then, you know, again, with the skipping steps, I'm like, you don't need a massage this week. You're going to try and save money. I'm going to save money. I'm not going to get the massage this week. And then you get injured. And when you get injured, it costs you way more money <laughs> because you have to go and get six times the, the work that you could have prevented in the beginning. And so I've had that happen to me three or four times because I'm hard and I learned things the hard way. I would say in, in terms of business, one of the one of the worst things that has ever happened to me in like multifamily for sure was I did not I did not inspect every unit. I, I took people's word for. Yeah, yeah. They're all the same. Everything is the same. Let me show you the the six different this and like, like, let's go and do this. There was a person living in one of the units and they were not in the rent roll and nobody knew who they were. So that becomes the, it. so now, but then from that, I have to pull from every resource I can think of. Like, okay, who do I know that has dealt with adverse possession? Okay, I know that kind of a lawyer. Okay, who do I know? And so adverse possession is like a squatter. Then I'm like, okay, who do I know that, like, is kind of rough looking that might just be able to get them to leave? (laughs) And so I start calling my but then I have to call my mentors like, okay, if I do this, what are the repercussions of these things? I need to know before I go into it. Like, all right. Florida does not allow self-help. That's an important thing. You cannot just kick people out. You have to go through the process of eviction. But how can you evict a person you don't know? So I had to learn on the go about all the steps that I had missed and like why you do not skip steps.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying that all these hacks and so on and so forth were a joke. Because you, yes. If you skip the step and you don't actually understand the process, I, I liken it to math class. Everybody hates math class, right? But you got to know the steps to do the proof in geometry or whatever, so that you can actually know what's built into doing the thing. Just knowing the final answer isn't good. And. You know, I I mess up in engineering school all the time. I would get the answer wrong, have all the steps right. But because I put the stuff in the calculator wrong, I got the wrong answer. And so thankfully, my teachers care more about the work than the answer. But had I not gone to that school, I might have been in a different situation where they, you know, you're just filling in Scantrons because you got 200 people in your class. I didn't go to school like that. So super grateful for that. So thanks for sharing that. I I don't know what you're
0: going to say. Oh, I have another one. I have another one. A good one. Okay. So if you don't know by now, most people do know all sellers lie and all brokers lie harder than their sellers will lie for them. So most of, so I've lost earnest money deposits because the financials that they sent me were not, luckily I do have mentors who told me how, like, so I'm just like, taking people at they word. T12, well, give me the financials, okay, I'll look through it, this makes sense, this is a great deal, let the deposit go hard, we're moving forward, come to find out, the taxes, that's not how much, they, that's not how much they paid in taxes, that's not how much you're gonna owe, which I kind of know to look for that in advance, but I'm kind of just rushing, like, okay, you know, let me, let me figure out how to underwrite this faster so that I can get to the point, I'm just trying to get through the deal. And But then there were several, there there were several collections that were in there that were not actually paid and little things like that started adding up. And then I had a mentor say, oh, you didn't ask to see some bank statements for deposits. And I'm just like, no, Uh." you know, and so it's just like all of these little things. And like having a person who has your back, who like for, for, Whatever reason, want to see you succeed, and it's always great to have those kinds of people around you. Definitely helps because that hasn't happened to me since. But that was that was like a, a very expensive lesson. Like, oh my gosh, I really could have used that to do something else.
1: What's up, Tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. Right. And so that's the one thing with, like, not doing coaching. Like, I think there's a big difference between mentorship and coaching. Coaching, from my perspective, is always paid. And it's to make sure that that person's paying attention to the whole thing. When you have mentors, they kind of fly in with the cape, solve a problem, then they're back out the door like superheroes. And that's great, but what if you could avoid the point where the person, where, where you were skipping steps, right? And that person was making sure that you were using proper form and technique so you didn't get hurt. Or they were managing and making sure that you were following a training regimen that made sense. And I think that is where the real value is, at least getting started. So you got that solid foundation and then you bring the other people in to handle those things that, hey, like I thought I was going to be able to raise five million and I've got to help solve closing that gap or whatever the case yeah. may be. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that lesson because I, I see a huge difference between people like I host another podcast called Multifamily Missteps. And I see a huge difference in the people who have coaches and people walking with them and following them on that journey and being intentional and focused on, you know, make sure you do this and having a rigorous process versus the folks who did what I did and went through the school of hard knocks and listened to podcasts and tried to piece it together and watch YouTube videos and think, oh yeah, I'm saving money, but you're wasting a ton of time and you aren't actually Getting the full body of knowledge, right? Like we go to universities and we pay to become whatever the degree says. And so, like you went to law school, I, I like lawyers, so you went to law school. I like to point that out, right? And so you got the body of knowledge for being an attorney, and all of these things are covered in it. But you know, if you went and figured out law by reading Google, it's highly likely that you're going to skip over something that. You, probably is important and by the time you get to court it's too late you know what i mean
0: it's it's also the biggest difference between being a generalist of knowledge which is very surface and being an expert so like i really know securities law if you ask me something about criminal law i would be like don't go to jail bro like (laughs) that's all i have for you (laughs)
1: This is awesome. Okay. So what was your worst fear in the process and how did you break through?
0: My worst fear initially was that I didn't have the money. It wasn't like, like, you know what I'm saying? And so like, I have been in, and I'm surrounded by people who are cash is king. I do everything by myself. Uh, Like, how to build, like, my father doesn't work with other people besides us, my family, myself. My grandfather is the same, his friends, blah, blah, blah. And so, going in, so, when I first started to say, all right, I want to do this, and I want to do this in an impactful way, obviously, money on my side is a limitation. And so, submitting offers initially, knowing, like, all right, this is way more money than you personally can close yourself. That was a, that was a challenge for me to get over and to like Ooh. have discernment to like talk the people around me out of talking me out of it. Because <laughs> they're like, you could just buy a duplex. You could just, you know, so.
1: <laughs> but that's not what I want. And I exactly. don't and I've got the relationships where I don't have to just buy a duplex. And, you know, this whole saying of, you know, if you want to go, what is it, go far, go with a group. And if you want to go fast, go by yourself. Like, there's a whole lot of value in that cliche. So I appreciate you saying that because anytime a person, like, kind of goes against the people that brought them up and say, I want to go do something different than what you did, it's uncomfortable because you're like, okay, well, my family isn't supporting me, so who is gonna support
0: me? Yeah. That's correct. But that's also a point that I've had to make using discernment about mentors. Because like I said, I pick them up, I love them, I think that they're smart, they give me little nuggets and very keen insight about things, but they have their own mental constraints about what they think you should be doing also. And so sometimes I have to be like, thank you and do what I want. (laughs)
1: As long as you mitigate the risk, usually they're telling yes. you don't because they think you're going to get hurt. At least I hope that's why they're doing it.
0: Well, so if on the one, so I have a lot of people who are more so on the transactional side of commercial real estate. And so they're like, why take on the risk? You can broker the deal. You could do this. You could do that. You could, you could, you could be, and you'll still make money. You'll still be fine, blah, blah, blah. But that is your path and I, and I respect your opinion. Thank you. I'm going to do what I want.
1: I appreciate your input. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I learned a long time ago because I have very strong opinionated family members that it's not worth convincing them what you're going to do. It's not worth it. Like, just say thank you and do what you want. You're a grown-up. You live someplace else. It doesn't matter. <laughs>
1: And when you're not depending on them to do what needs to be done, then you don't have to, right? And so valuable, value, valuable insight. Okay. Was there a point when everything was on the line? Did you have a rock bottom?
0: So I think I'm blessed in that capacity because although I have, you know, done things that like meant I was risking it all to a point. I know that I can call my dad or my grandfather or my mother. You know what I'm saying? So I have, like, I call it, like, the cushion you don't want to fall on because the conversation that comes with it isn't worth it for me. But so that feels like rock bottom because it's just like, do you really want to have this conversation? Ah,
1: Never. I I, yeah. I remember I was getting... I was transitioning from college to work and I took a job with like the summer program before I went to work and we didn't get paid and I didn't have any money. And so I didn't eat for like two days till payday because I wasn't willing to call home and say, I ran out of money. (laughs) (laughs) Cause they would have said, well, you got this job that you put off starting for like six or eight weeks. So you could go hang out with some kids. And I was like, yeah, that was fun. But anyway, so yeah, I understand that conversation and not wanting to have it. So, all right. You've been running, enjoying, like literally running, but like running and enjoying this life path of yours. What's been the reward from, following your intuition and doing, as you said, what I want, like you're, you're really following this path and trusting your intuition.
0: The reward is like more intangible than tangible. So like, although, yeah, you make money doing things when it works and all that stuff. But the biggest thing for me has always been the, the mental freedom. Like I literally at, and my, and my father loves to say this because he's like, I raised a free person, like whatever that means. And I'm just like, yes, I I literally believe that I'm free, which means like free from everybody's constraints. What do I want to do? Let's think about it. Let's figure out how to make it work. And so I think that that's the biggest reward that I've received. Um, and also just from a like mm, the place where the reason why I work with athletes is that I love them and I want to see the narrative change around athletes' intellects and capacity. and so have been done some things with athletes and see them receive a check in the mail, and then them say, "Wait a minute." I didn't even have to do nothing." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's kind of how investing works in, in certain capacities." And then they're like, "So I don't even got to play no more if I didn't want to." And I'm like, "It's kind of the point. And then, and then like, that's like a light bulb. that's like, now I see them do it because they want to, which is a much better feeling than because you have to. And as Dave Melzer would say, because you get to, so.
1: <laughs> Cause I mean, that's what creates significance, right? To a different way where they can do something other than what they have been doing. And like for people.
0: And been told their whole life that that's all they can
1: do. So let's talk about that, because I think, you know, the gifted athlete is somebody that falls into that category. But there's also kids in poverty who are told that they can't do anything. And so they should just sit there and stay in the space that they're in. So how do we spend more time sharing that message with people that you can do more than what you're doing?
0: so I think that's like a day that that's a day to day mission on grabbing the t shirts of anybody that you can reach, so like for me, I work with a whole bunch of nonprofits that deal with kids and young adults just to expose them to different earning opportunities like to, to because obviously I didn't necessarily grow up in the hood, but I'm a little bit hood adjacent and I know about it, and so I realize that people tell the kids like like they're showing them the people with money are these people, drug dealers. If you're from Florida, scammers, athletes, entertainers. But if you're not necessarily athletically gifted, they've already told you, okay, you can't do that. You suck at this. I don't think there's a cutoff point for rappers because I see too many people there. Um, but they're going to move over and say, okay, risking your life to make whatever it is that drug dealers make and not having a lot of successful people, quote unquote, come and show you that like, I'm not none of this stuff. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I still have been able to get the thing, the, the materialistic things that you think is what you want that you, we are going to call success.
1: So I call that exposure. And if we go back to that conference, you went to where the woman said something to you about the hundred million dollar deal, that it's very similar situation, a scenario, right?
0: Yes. Like the other day I posted about Reginald Lewis and I, and I was very intentional about that because I found out about Reginald Lewis way too late in life. I was already like in graduate school about him becoming the first African American to do a billion dollar acquisition. And then I found out the reason that he's not better known within the black community is because he overtook, I think his name is John Johnson uh, from Johnson publishing. Um, He overtook him as the wealthiest black man. And so he would not publish any articles about him. And it was some real crab thing to do. um, But very much a part of the ego of becoming a very successful person is like how driven you are to prove people wrong and to do things and be exceptional, be the person and all that stuff. And so I'm very intentional about always sharing his story because reading his story made me realize like everybody's piecing this together. And that was like one of those, like, wait a minute, people are buying businesses with other people's money. Like wait. (laughs) So it was like one of those aha moments for me just reading that book and saying you can do things as long as you learn the steps and how to play the game and you elevate it and bring your own flair to it. But at the end of the day, pretty much everybody's doing the same things. They're just learning the game a little bit faster because of their exposure. Ooh.
1: I just got the 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 title for the episode. Beautiful. All right. What are you most grateful for?
0: I am most grateful for. Sanity, health, and a great family.
1: That's like three things, but I'll let it ride.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to say family first because um, at the most important thing in my life has been that my parents have never given me limiting thoughts. Literally anything I've ever said I wanted to do, they say, well, okay, how are you going to do it? And we walk through it and we figure it out. How? And because of that, I'm a problem solver.
1: And uh, that's all that it takes out here is if you, you've got to be willing to solve the problem. LaVon, what gift are you giving the world?
0: Ooh. Yeah, hey, you are just... It's a deep afternoon. I ain't even having lunch yet. Um, <laughs> I would like to give the world the kind of kindness that I think is important. Uh, so I'm kind to of everybody, no matter what. Good morning, good afternoon, open the door, close the door. How may I help you? Anybody. It doesn't matter if she's serving me the drink. How are you doing today? It's important. Be kind because you don't know what people are going through. So that's what I want to give the world.
1: Look at you, you Southern belle. Okay. This is the Dreamcatchers podcast. And so I've always got to ask, what dream are you most focused on catching next?
0: I am focused on catching the most non-performing note tapes possible in 2021. Say more about that. Mm, okay. So we're in the position because of the pandemic where lots of people are not paying their mortgage. And from a commercial standpoint, that's the side that I mostly care about uh, at the moment. But um, when you control the note, you then have the opportunity to give grace to others. So uh, I want to buy. So my whole thing is all about impact and how investing can be impactful as well as lucrative. So one of the things that I'm really focused on going into 2021 is Purchasing a lot of non performing notes and giving businesses some help so that they can stay in business moving forward. Whoa,
1: that's gonna break the internet. That's generous.
0: And, but it's still gonna make a lot of money. It's fine, but generous nonetheless. I,
1: but I think that's who you are at your core. It's about solving problems, it's about solving problems in a kind way instead of just taking advantage of folks and manipulating them. The thing that's been consistent throughout this episode is you've talked about wanting to expose people to things, to let them know that they can do more, and by giving them that exposure, they can go off and make the world a better place and actually enjoy the freedom that you've been able to enjoy because of the privilege that has been bestowed upon you by your relatives. And, I mean, for me, I think that's what everybody's pursuing. I think the conversation about white privilege and a bunch of other stuff is just you're special because of something that you didn't do. You've got opportunity because of something that you didn't do. And the more people that can create that, not only for themselves, but for other people, I think that's what actual kindness is, sharing that privilege in order to impact positively impact the lives of other people. And I think you're a great example of that. And I think you represent well for HBCUs and America. (laughs) the DR. And I can keep going down the list, but I'm super excited that I had the opportunity to to bring this episode to fruition with you. And I'm really excited for the future and and what it's going to bring for you. Um, The final question I always ask is, what's the one thing you want our listeners to
0: take away from this episode? The one thing that I want listeners to take away from this episode is, Find a way to tie being impactful into everything that
1: you do. Do good while doing well or doing well while doing good or vice versa. I saw that somewhere in your profile, which I think is phenomenal. And it's a core tenet of our education for multifamily investing. So, Levon, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. And to the listeners, your dreams should be real. Go out and make them happen. We'll talk soon.
0: Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.